The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to have a chat with Bretty. Bretty, if you can tell me where and when you were born, and if you can describe what it was like where you grew up, the education that you received, and the schools that you went to. Okay, over to you. Well, thank you, Tim, for having me on your podcast. It's an absolute honor. Super excited to be on your podcast. So a little bit about me. My name is Prit, and I basically grew up in Singapore, and I was there up until the age of 11, and then I moved back to India, and then, of course, I moved to the U.S. a little bit after that. So let me first start with where you know I grew up, my childhood. Uh, my childhood was really beautiful. Singapore is an amazing country. I think that it is just so advanced in terms of its technology, in terms of its support to its citizens, as well as permanent residents. And growing up, I think that, uh, you know, having both my parents working all the time, I was actually uh, put into childcare for the first few years of my life. So I grew up basically um, with eight hours a day in the childcare and of course um, living with my parents in the evenings. So childcare was really, really good. I mean, in the sense that I had, uh, I was the only Indian. Um, Indians, like the race is a little bit of the minority in Singapore. So I was the only Indian in my childcare and I grew up learning Mandarin. Um, I grew up, you know, understanding the language, learning how to write, learning how to read it and um, going to school as well. It was a very different experience. I've had the privilege to be exposed to three different education systems in the world. And Singapore definitely built that foundation of how to apply what I'm learning and how to be more practical in my approach to life and even just solving problems. Um, I think that a lot of how I deal with life and of course, you know, growing my business. Uh, I can see a lot of my Singapore education system coming into play over there. So the education system in Singapore is a little bit different. It's more application based. So if you learn one plus one equals two, there, there's probably going to be another method, another way to for them to ask the question and for you to uh, apply that knowledge that one plus one actually equals to two. And it's a little bit different because when you're studying, you don't just study as is. You have to learn how to apply it into your daily life. You have to learn how to, you know, different ways that you can approach one plus one equals to two. That is two minus one equals to one. You know, those are things that you have to understand and figure it out yourself. They will teach you the forward, but the backward method is what you have to understand. And the same goes for you know science and um, different subjects, mathematics, English. There is a heavy focus on English language, um, especially uh, in the education system in Singapore. So you know, I had penmanship classes when I was a kid, and growing up, we had phonetics classes. Uh, you know, we're very particular about how you articulate yourself. And that was also very clear with the oral examinations that they did have as well. So not only, you know, did they want you to perform well in written tests, they also had a heavy focus, like there were classes that we had to attend 
to ensure that our oral examinations went smooth or we did our best for our oral examination. So it was like they would give you a passage, they would teach you how to read, they would teach you how to give appropriate pauses, um, you know, how to add expressions into your the way you talk, even when you're reading, how to read ahead, but at the same time, uh, go at a pace that people can understand. So I guess all of those things, you know, different aspects of the Singapore educational system really honed my skills. Like today I'm a writer, I, I blog, and then I also am a podcaster myself. And all of those skills that I picked up at a very young age because of the education system have actually helped me in who I am today, like, you know, the person that I am today. So yeah, that's just a, a short summary of the like educational system. On the other hand, I guess I would want to say that uh, we had pretty big examinations at the age of, if I'm not wrong, eight and then 11. So basically you have these two examinations at primary four and primary six, which determines how your life uh, basically sets up. So at primary four, based on your um, scores in your exam, you are actually segregated into different classes and you will have respective teacher for those classes. Um, there's different educational uh, like levels that you will be studying uh, within primary four. And then the same thing goes for primary six where they will actually determine which um, course or you know which line of occupation suit you best based on your scores at the age of 11 and you know because of that because at the age of you know four i mean eight and 11 there is such a heavy focus on figuring out your life i think that people like the students my peers and myself included were very very into education like we took it very very seriously there was yeah. a lot of competition and you know i was going for tuitions at the age of eight all the way till 11 and basically it, like everybody was pretty serious uh, which was a little bit different when i came to india at the age of 11 there was a different mindset uh, that uh, so, was different yeah so you, your education then you were learning mandarin yes english yes. And yes. I suppose your what, what's your mother tongue? Oh well, my mother tongue is Canada, uh, but I picked up a second language of Hindi in Singapore. So, so, so four languages. Yes, <laughs> four <laughs> languages. Yes. I I I pretty much struggle with English most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but my my schooling was a bit. Um, Let's say it wasn't like yours at all <laughs> when I did go. <laughs> so they were fairly strict then, and and I guess that that was to, a lot to do with your parents instilling that um, want to learn to make the, your education that important that you wanted to 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 learn as much as you can and. I mean, it must must put a lot of pressure on uh, at the age of eight coming up. I mean, you've you've got a whole raft of um, exams in 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 Mandarin, English, Hindi. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, uh, and I, I suppose you've you've got the other subjects in there that sort of the English, history, maths, 
um, geography. What, what was your history like? What what history did you learn? Because it's different so, all over the world. I mean, in England, we, we, we learned sort of uh, pretty much British history and European history where we've had odd conflicts now and then. Um, but I, mean, I guess in Singapore, because Singapore was a British... Uh, yes, it was, yes. Once, a colony, yes. Uh, and uh, and the, uh, the Japanese sort of put an end to yes. that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is true. So where there was like a little bit of history, like comparatively to how much of history Indian education system covers, um, the Singapore in the, uh, education system doesn't actually cover that much history. It's very focused on how Singapore came about, Singapore's history, and pretty much that's it, at least up until the age of 11. That's what I can speak for. Um, so it was heavily focused on just how Singapore gained independence. And um, because it is such a small country, it, it was very, it is actually very, very, um, it's kind of like embedded in you from a very young age that, you know, patriotism, you know, love for the country. There are so many exercises that kids have to go through to to form that relationship with country, to form that bond with the country. Every year, 15th of August, um, that is Singapore's Independence Day, you know, uh, there are yeah. schools, schools take you to the National Day Parade, which is called the NDP. They teach you songs about Singapore. And basically from a very young age, you know, they teach you what is patriotism and they teach you about Singapore's history. So because it is such a small country, and I think, uh, you know, uh, for for, I, I guess a lot of political and uh, social reasons, they do emphasize on patriotism and Singapore. So it's very heavily focused on Singapore's journey thus far, especially mm. when it comes to um, the Singapore education system. Yes. So do you class yourself as uh, Singapore or Indian? I I definitely am an Indian citizen. Um, so I would consider myself an Indian, yes. Yeah, but you have a, a leaning towards being uh, Singaporean as well. I think that, that all three, you know, yes, yeah. yes, I definitely I brought you yes. up, yeah. Yes, definitely. I mean, there, there's sometimes, you know, I, there are Singaporean slang that I use. Um, my thought process is definitely a lot more uh, in the Singaporean thought process versus um, the Indian thought process. I can definitely feel that difference sometimes in the way I think, in the way I behave. And I think because it was just so embedded in me when I was a kid, you know, growing up, I think yeah. those are the formative years. So I think because of that, um, that foundation is definitely, you can definitely see uh, streaks of uh, Singapore culture in, um, in the way I think and the way I behave, yes. Okay. So... At the age of eleven, then, yes. um, which is which, which, where we go to secondary school. Yes, so that is true. You moved from Singapore back to India. Whereabouts in India did you move to? So we moved to Bangalore, India, which is in the southern yeah. part of India, and uh, yeah, that's where we moved right after Singapore. So, how did you fit in with the? education system coming from Singapore, which is, I guess, a totally different type of system to, to what they teach in, in India. 
Oh, it was so different, so different. And I think it, the first year that I was in India, like the age of 11, it was really challenging for me to uh, understand the difference between the two educational systems. Because first off, I had a hard time fitting in because, you know, my accent was different, the way I thought was different, uh, the, my behavior was different, you know. Uh, in Singapore, we call the teachers by like their names, like Miss um, Clearwater or something like that. But then yeah. in India, it's a different way. You know, um, the teachers command a lot more respect from the students. You have to call them a certain way. You have to uh, talk to them in a certain way. And, uh, you know, your behavior matters. All of those nuances were definitely very different between the two um, educational systems. Not just that, um, in, in Singapore, there is the math is a lot more advanced uh you compare to the stage and the way they approach math is very very different i think that because of the asian um influence in singapore the way that you approach math is very very different uh there are you know we do by the model method i'm not sure if it is there in us uh, in uk but we do something called the model method when it comes to approaching problems in math and it's a more like it's a very step-by-step process when in Singapore, whereas in India they didn't do any of those things. You know, um, in India, like the way they approached math was very different. The way they approached English also was very different. In Singapore, I didn't learn much about like nouns, adverbs, adjectives. We knew what they were, but we didn't really go much into depth with it. But when I came to India, I realized that everybody knew different kinds of nouns and not just different kinds of nouns, but even more in depth and how to apply that. And, you know, it was just a lot more advanced in terms of the English. Again, I think it was because of the British influence um, mm. that, you know, India is actually there, there. A lot of people do speak really, really good English. And not just that, they're very particular about grammar uh, in India. Yeah. So the math was different. Uh, but I mean, one plus one still equals to two, but how you get to two was different in both of these places. Yeah. And I knew one method and learning the other method was a little bit challenging because even though I came to the solution, you get you get marks for the steps and the steps yeah. were not, you know, fitting. So <laughs> unlearning and relearning all of that was really difficult. Not just that, I think because my entire body language, I had to relearn all of that, you know. In India, the students are supposed to be extremely respectful of the teachers. But in Singapore, you know, it's not that we weren't respectful, but we were given the freedom to speak our minds. If we didn't like something, we could speak up and explain where we came from in a very mm. respectful way. Whereas um, in India at that point, I'm not sure about now, but at that point, it was taken that, you know, um, I, I was probably rude or, you know, all of those things. So I had a, an amazing teacher at that point who actually sat down with me, explained all of this and, uh, you know, taught me how to be, to show my respect in terms of my body language. You know, as much as I did respect yeah. them from my heart, it, was, it had to be uh, shown through body language as well. So, yeah, and India definitely a lot more in depth with respect to the history, civics, geography, Everything was so much more detailed um, in India than it was in Singapore. And uh, like people around me were definitely more knowledgeable in, in those respects, in, in those aspects. 
but I was definitely ahead in terms of mathematics because of the strong focus of mathematics in Singapore. Yeah. So again, those were the two, like the two differences between the educational systems. I guess were you being um, so driven, you managed <laughs> that fairly easily. Uh, how did the rest of your um, second school progress? So the first oh. year was obviously a, a challenge, but well, <laughs> yes, second yes. year, you've obviously got the hang of it by then. I did. I did get the hang of it. And I guess I wouldn't say I was driven. I mean, I was the class clown. Um, I was always joking around. Um, I, I don't think that I was driven as a person. I think I just... Um, I liked studying, that was true, but at the same time, there were if I didn't like something, I wouldn't do it. And I was probably causing a lot of havoc to my parents at that point um, because, you know, I loved math, so math was something that I did really, really well in. English, I absolutely loved, so that was one thing. But, you know, social studies, maybe geography, that was something that I was not so keen on, so <laughs> I, I did not have any interest in that. So I guess I wouldn't say I was driven because that means that, you know, Every aspect of education, I was definitely for it, but I wasn't. Uh, but I was, I think that from a very young age, I knew what I liked, I knew what I was good at, and I knew what I didn't like, I knew what I wasn't going to carry forth um, to the rest of my life. So I think having that clarity, pros was that I, I was very sure of the person I was going to be and the career path that I wanted to choose, but the con was that I, I failed to realize that to get to that point, I needed to study them. I needed to actually <laughs> pass those exams to move forward. So <laughs> it was a it was a pros and cons there. I definitely um, was a huge challenge to my parents at that point. Um, but yeah, the rest of uh, secondary school went pretty smoothly. We have major exam in 10th grade in India, which is pretty much yeah. the same thing that you have in sixth grade in uh, Singapore. So I was accustomed to the pressure already because I'd already faced that for two yeah. years, fourth, fifth, sixth, so three years in Singapore. So it was pretty easy for me to, I mean, it was hard, but at the same time, I knew that pressure. I, I, I was able to understand it before it came. I knew what it was going to be like. So I was mentally prepared for it. So I guess that was the difference between yeah. the two so the rest of secondary school was good then i did my engineering um which i guess i would say wasn't probably not my best years yes <laughs> so you moved on to an engineering was that yes. at a university yes uh so it was at a university um and uh, it was i think a lot of societal pressure definitely to choose engineering. Uh, like I said, I, I had a very clear idea of what I wanted to do and what I didn't like. And I think that I, at that point in my life, I kind of succumbed to societal pressure. I think that there is a huge pressure, especially in Asian communities, especially in the Indian community, that if you don't take up engineering or if you don't become a doctor or if you don't become a lawyer, then you're not going to be very successful in life and nobody's going to look at mm -hmm. you with respect. Um, you know, at family functions, people are going to look down on you and all of those things. So I think I succumbed to that societal pressure. I did like a part of my engineering that was electronics and communication. I did like electronics. I like how it worked. Um, I like the back end of it. But at the same time, as I progressed through the four years, I realized that this was not something that I wanted to do with my life. 
um, mm. for the next 40 years of my life. And I think <laughs> that is when the panic and the anxiety set in as well. So the, 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 what you learned was electronics engineering. Yes. Rather yes. than sort of structural engineering or that sort of engineering. Yeah? Yes, yes. So did, did you get the degree at the end of it? Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> yes, that was, it was quite the journey. Um, like I said, I, I did complete it. I am an engineer at this point. And, uh, but I, I guess if I hadn't done that, I don't think I would have figured what I wanted to do with my life. So in a way, it was positive um, mm. in the way that I was able to cancel out one, uh, one career option. It's a pretty expensive option for my parents, of course. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> but in, in a lot of ways, I am grateful for those four years because I think that when you enter the four years of engineering, it teaches you to think in a certain way. It teaches you how to solve problems and not just uh, problems related to engineering. I feel that it also mm. teaches you how to handle problems in your life because, an engineer, first and foremost, is a person who solves problems. That's it. That's the fundamental yeah. thing of an engineer. And for me, having that thought process, having that technical knowledge and um, just a different way of looking at life has definitely uh, helped me with respect to growing my business much, much later and understanding technical aspects of uh, even growing my business, yes. Hmm. So... You got your degree? Yes. <laughs> what did you do next? Where where did that take you? Obviously, you, 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 you decided that you want to go in a slightly different direction. Yes, to, yes. To, what, to, to certainly what your parents wanted, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, um, so uh, before that, let me back up a little bit. So in my second, I think, yes, it was in my second year of engineering. I just finished my engineering um, that year that semester and I was lazing around at home and you know by then I think I was like pretty sure that I would not be taking engineering for the like the rest of my life I knew that I was going to do something after so at that point my dad saw me sitting around at home and he's like well you know typical Indian parent he's like well you need to stop wasting time you need to do something with your life I, and I was like it's summer holidays and he said no you know get a job <laughs> work somewhere and then I ended up uh, working under him at his company as a uh, social media marketer so basically what I did was I helped him with the website I helped um, get their social media up and running um, it was a, at, the, at that at that point I think it was like 25 years the company was about 25 years and so, you know, they had no social media presence at all. So I helped them jumpstart that. I worked with their creative team and, um, you know, helped them get their website in order, made the customer user experience a lot more better on the website. And I realized that I absolutely enjoyed every bit of it. Like I had not studied that before. That was not something that, you know, I had any educational degree, but I loved every minute of it. And at that point, um, maybe because I had not done research enough or I just did, wasn't exposed to it. I didn't think that that could be something I could consider having a career in. So I came back the next two summers as well. And then I would help with the marketing aspect of his business. And that's when I realized, okay, well, I like doing this. 
But I actually thought that maybe it was just the business aspect of it that I liked, which I did. I mean, both my parents are entrepreneurs. Um, I've had the exposure of learning about their business from a very young age of my life. So I naturally, I was drawn to that. You know, I was always fascinated by the business world. I always knew someday I would start my own business. And um, so I was like, okay, well, I told my parents that engineering is not my thing. And they kind of figured at that point, um, <laughs> because, well, it was pretty evident that I wasn't interested. I was not happy. I was so anxious that I would be spending the next 40 of years of my life doing something that I absolutely didn't like. When the people around me, like they were more fit for engineering, they absolutely loved what they were doing. Yeah. And I just, I wasn't happy. So I said, okay, I'm going to do my MBA. My parents agreed. They said, yes, go for it. Um, they've been really supportive throughout. I just want to put that out there. But, you know, they said, mm -hmm. yes, absolutely go for it. So then when I was in Bangalore, I applied to a few colleges um, across the world. And I did get into a few places in the U.S. And one of them was Rochester Institute of Technology. And I decided that I would go to that college that university for my um, MBA so that was the next step in my life so what course did you take there so well I did yes. yeah you weren't you you weren't overly interested in actually electronic engineering so mm -hmm. did you sort of change direction to a slightly yes. different course yes I did my MBA um, in Rochester Institute of Technology and that is a master of business administration and when I think like I didn't even work like after my engineering, I was like, nope, not even having any of it. And then I just immediately <laughs> went to do my MBA. So it was Master of Business Administration. That was a two year course. And during that two year course, I realized my passion for marketing. Absolutely fell in love with it. And I decided to do my MBA with a concentration in marketing. Hmm. And how well did you do? Oh, really well. <laughs> I did yeah. really, really well. Like if you ask how engineering was, I, I would just like, you know, cover my face with my hands and say, no, no, it was not good at all. But MBA, <laughs> I was in my element. Like I loved every single subject. Um, I loved every aspect of it. And I realized that all through my life, I had, without my knowledge, been absorbing um, news articles about marketing or, you know, news articles about business and reading about business. Those were the things that I was really interested in. I just didn't yeah. know that it was competitive strategy or it was marketing. I just didn't know the labels for all of them. Mm. But it turns out that I was completely in my element during my MBA. I did really, really well. And uh, those two years were probably, I think, a pivoting moment of my life where I found what I wanted to do. I was completely you know I was so sure okay this is the life I was going to have and you know I think it's such a relief when for four years of your, my engineering I was so lost I was like completely anxious about what my life yeah. was going to be and then that sudden relief that hits you that okay well this is my purpose like this is what I am meant to do I think that was such a relief those two years and it was beautiful it's magical mm. so you got your you got your MBA what did you do? You, what was your first job after you, you left university in America? 
So my first job, and this is where my life actually gets very, very interesting, <laughs> is um, so my first job. So basically, after you complete two years of education um, of, of a master's degree in the U.S., you get 12 months of a student visa, 12 months of work on your student yeah. visa. And then you have to convert that into a work visa. So I, I, you get 90 days after your graduation date to get a job in the U.S., and I think I was at like day 80 or something like that. I was pretty close to my, my student visa <laughs> running out at that point because the market is just so competitive and not many companies really want to apply for your full-time work visa afterwards. Uh, that's an investment on their end as well. And, um, you know, not many companies like the smaller companies are willing to mm. do that. And I was pretty sure that I wanted to work at a small business more than a large corporation because I didn't, I didn't have any work experience beforehand. And I knew that the best way to accelerate my learning was through working at a small business, because even though you are, you know, a marketing coordinator, you actually do everything around you. You're responsible for a lot of things. So I realized, no, I wanted to be very specific about where I wanted. So that was more of a strategy for me. Um, if I have to say, I was very intentional about the companies that I was applying for. But the catch with that was that they were not so willing to apply for my work visa after a year. But very luckily, and, uh, you know, I, I went for this interview on Long Island. It was this uh, top solar firm, uh, small business. And, you know, uh, it was an absolute, like, from the day I walked in for the interview all the way till the end, they were so supportive of my journey they were, you know, always encouraging to learn more, giving me more responsibilities. And I absolutely loved that job. You know, I got it. I think I got the off letter of just a few days before my visa was going to expire. And, you know, that was such a relief for me. And, uh, you know, I was the marketing coordinator. I was given the role of a marketing coordinator. I was working under a marketing manager. She was absolutely fantastic. You know, she mentored me. She taught me a lot of things. And in a lot of ways, she also taught me how to be independent, how to make independent decisions, um, mm. you know, without also, um, you know, helping me learn from my mistakes as well and teaching me as well. So there was a very delicate balance that she was able to provide um, in my life. The CEO was absolutely amazing as well. And uh, when it came to the time that they had to apply for my work visa, there was absolutely no hesitation. They went through with the process. You know, they hired a lawyer for me, you know, all of those things that like were in with me full, completely on board. And mm. yeah, so that was one one section of my journey. I had amazing co colleagues. I had a wonderful life, brilliant friends, amazing, supportive, loving friends, mentors, so many of them. And it was just a very positive experience. Brilliant. So how long were you there? So I was there for a year after uh, my MBA. And so basically when you convert your student visa to a work visa, it's a lottery. And my work visa, unfortunately, didn't get processed. So mm. I had to come back to India. And oh my God, it was heartbreaking. It was so heartbreaking for me because up until then, like I had the perfect life. Everything was just going so good. I had my vision, my mission. I knew what I was passionate about. I knew how my career was going to roll out. And then all of a sudden, um, I had to leave my, the home that I had called for three years, my friends, my, my, my colleagues. 
you know, my mentors and just leave the job that I loved so much. And that was absolutely heartbreaking for me. So that was the next phase mm. of my life. So they pulled the rug from India. You had to return absolutely. to India. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, what happened when you got back to India? So a lot of things happened. Uh, like I said, I think that was a very crucial moment in my life. Now that I look back at it, at that point, it was absolutely gut-rending, really, really painful. I think that, uh, you know, there was a point where I was wondering why was all of this happening to me? You know, why was I in so much pain? And I was, it was at that point that, you know, I, I decided that either I could put out my resume on LinkedIn, get new jobs in India, yeah. or I could start on my own. I mean, like I said, I always knew that I would have my own business probably five or six years down the line. But at that point, like I was already at ground zero. I was already at the bottom and I was mm -hmm. wondering, well, I think this is my chance. I mean, I've been through so much pain up until now. And I think that I would not be able to forgive myself if I didn't give it a chance, at least one chance, you know, to try on the entrepreneurship journey for a year, see what happens, give it my everything. And if it didn't work out, well, I was already at the bottom. So I could start afresh and submit my resumes on LinkedIn. Yeah. And that was when I, you know, it, it was definitely, <laughs> I would say, um, through a lot of frustration and anger and just pain that that decision came about from. But I do not regret any part of it. I think that the anger and the frustration was more so that in a lot of communities, I think that there is a certain perception that you only need to be in a certain city or in a certain state or in a certain country to be successful and that you will not be successful in any other profession or in any other uh, state, city, country ever. So I think that at that point, everybody was looking at me. It was a pretty public experience for me because everybody's eyes were on me. And I think that more than them, you know, having sympathy or, you know, the empathy for me, I guess I would say, I think that they were just a lot of pity and I, I, I wasn't able to handle that. I just, I didn't want people's pity. And I wanted to, you know, kind of show that regardless of where I am in the world, I was going to be successful. I was going to make a name for myself. And I think it was because of that determination and that anger and that frustration and that pain that I made a decision. And I think in a lot of ways, it does fuel me that I am an example to people around that, you know, regardless of your obstacles, regardless of how hard life knocks you down, you can be successful regardless of where you are in the mm. world. And that began my entrepreneurship journey. Yes, that was the moment. Mm. So you started your own business? Yes, <laughs> I did. Are you still working at your own business? Yes, yes, I am. It's been a year now. Did you end up working for anybody else or... Were... No, no, so, no, I didn't. No, it's been two years. So returned, <laughs> so returned, <laughs> yeah. returned from America to India, decide now's the opportunity to, to yeah. get stuck into running my own business. And yeah. here you are. And how long have you been at it? It's been two years now. Uh, the first year was more focused on trying to see if this was a good decision was trying to see if I can gain some stability. And then within a year, 
I, it was pretty clear that I was meant to do this. Like this was what my life's purpose and my mission and my vision was meant to be all along. And um, after that, it was more so about expanding my business. So the first year was all about gaining stability and the second year, and I am going to be entering my third year pretty soon. Um, but yeah, it's been about expanding my name and expand my business, yes. So it's growing. So you are, growing. you're being successful. Yes, yes, touch wood. <laughs> Fantastic. So what are your visions for the future then? So visions for the future, definitely, I mean, I think I personally, I am known as the marketing nomad. It is my online pseudonym. So basically what I do is I help businesses across the world with their marketing. I have like a lot of free resources. Like I said, I'm a podcaster and I also um, have a lot of content to ensure that business owners lead a more enriching life. Because when I started out as a business owner, I realized that there was just a lot of lessons that I needed to learn. And even though I had an MBA degree, I had, uh, you know, I'd done my educational degree in marketing as well. I realized that there was a huge gap between what you learn in your educational system and also what actually happens in real life. Not just that, there's a lot of differences in terms of the mindset shifts that you need to make um, in terms of, you know, the growth mindset shifts, so many different ways, how you approach the business how you approach yourself, how you understand who you are, and so many other things. So I decided that, you know, other than my consultation work, which of course is the paid part of my business, and that is something that I have been successful so far as well. And I hope to keep expanding this community of business owners that um, I have interacted with and who are now my good friends, actually. Yeah. So how do people get in touch with you if they want to oh. use your services? What's, what's, what's the best way of getting in touch with you? Obviously, I'll, I'll leave some links in the in the description of how you, how to get you and, and all the rest of it. But what, what's what's the best best method? Okay, the best method is to basically search for the marketing nomad. I am the marketing nomad every single place, like Instagram, podcast, YouTube. Um, it's T H E then space M A R K E T I N G space N O M A D. And um, you can find me on Instagram as the marketing nomad. That's also a great way to interact. I'm very, very active on Instagram. Also, um, you know, DM me if you would like. I definitely would love to say hello to you as well. Fantastic. Well, it's been a pleasure. I'm really insight. I mean, uh, I know across the world that there are different education models. Yes. But but the difference between Singapore and India is is, is worlds apart. Yes. I think in, in India is possibly a little bit like what England. Uh, yes. Yes, yeah, it is. Yes. Model, but you know, it's it's interesting to see what it's like in in Singapore. So, thank you, thank you for for sharing thank you that so with much. us. Thank you so um, much for having me, Tim. No, no, it's been a pleasure. And, and I wish you very uh, every success for your business. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you. And uh, thank you so much to your listeners as well for listening all the way up until here. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories.